This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at juryfireandfuel. This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome. The trials of first responders and their families aren't easy. Enduring the Badge Podcast is building a community to help them out. Introducing your host, backed by 30 years of experience as a first responder, Jerry Dean Lund. My very special guest today is Anthony McNeil. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing awesome, Jerry. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, thanks for being on. I appreciate you taking your time. I know you're a super busy guy. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm like, you know, when I got the uh, invitation, I was I was happy to to accept and, and and come on. I always listen to your to your podcast, and I think I reached out to you probably a few months ago before I even got the whole network thing going about being a guest. Um, but yeah, well, I really want to come on and 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 get your let your audience hear what I got going on over here. Yeah, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You're a retired police officer. And an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, man. I uh, I did 20 years with the Southfield Police Department in Michigan. Uh, retired in 2013. And it's funny. And, you know, I'm sure we'll probably get into my story here in a little bit. But I got into police work kind of by accident. And by accident. <laughs> uh, no, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Always have been. And when I first got started in, in law enforcement, it was because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and, you know, I'll, I'll get into the story here, you know, in, in a little bit, but yeah, I, I started my business back three years after I got into law enforcement. I, own a, I bought a janitorial franchise and I left the department in 1995, I think it was to get the business up and going. And I was gone for about 14, 18 months. And the chief called me and said, he would love to have me come back to work. So I was able to go back and, um, you know, I did my 20 years and still got the business going today. That's pretty impressive. That's a, that's a long stint and yeah, get back you. out and in and <laughs> yeah. And get yeah, it I, 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 I love the profession. You know, I did a little bit of everything. I worked patrol for a long time. I was an FTO. Um, I was a detective for like three or four years, a hostage negotiator, um, did a little bit of everything, man. You know, yeah. so it was Probably. a fun 20 years. Yeah, the hostage negotiator, the other guy on the other side is like, God, that guy's got a great voice. I just need to surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Calms me down and I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, just the training to to do all that stuff. It was different, you know. I uh, I I miss all of that. I miss it a lot. Yeah. What was your favorite job during your 20 years? Definitely patrol, hands down. Um, I'm a people's person, um, to a certain degree and working patrol, you know, I just, I just love being out and about, not really having anybody looking over your shoulder all the time and just meeting different people out on the street and just all the different crap that you run into. You know, I don't think people realize what we see on a day-to-day basis when we start doing this job, you know, and that's, that's the part about it that I loved. It wasn't your typical nine to five, you know, so you can come in and, you can get a, 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 a stolen car. Yes. A stolen car, just like all the others, but it's always different. Yeah. You know, there's always a different twist to it somehow, you know, and that's what keeps it exciting. Yeah. I'm patrol, right? You're just seeing the day is dictated by what's going on in the city, not by necessarily so much by your, your boss or somebody else. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and I, and I, I had great guys that I worked with and, you know, like I said, I, I, I ended up coming off the road in 2008 due to some health issues and the profession kind of changed for me then because i had to work inside working the front desk my last five years which i absolutely hate it yeah, <laughs> um, I can yeah but it's it's, it's 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 funny how things happen because i have a blood clotting disorder and Shoot. it basically has almost killed me twice um i first got sick a week after my wife and i got married in 92 and when we got back from our honeymoon, I was I was working afternoons at the time. And for about a week, I had this just severe stomach ache. 
And I thought it was something I'd ate while we were on, you know, out of yeah. out of the country. That yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I came home one night and I looked at my wife and I said, I gotta go to the hospital. I can't take this pain anymore. And you know, again, and here's the funny part. We get to the hospital. And while I was working that day, we had got to run to a hotel where there was a big party going on. And we had been out there a couple of times. Well, when I got off of work that night, the party was still going on. <laughs> and a number of those people ended up at the ER. Oh, well, while I'm in the ER sick as hell, a fight breaks out between security and these people from the hotel. So I'm in the middle of this. <laughs> I'm in the middle of this fight throwing up on everybody. <laughs> never, never off duty, huh? Never off duty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was in the city that I worked in and, and everything. So, you know, you know how that goes. But, yeah. Yeah, man. But I, I end up I was they told me that day, you know, you have gas, go home, drink some prune juice. You'll be fine. Oh, well, three days later, they were rushing me to the hospital and they didn't think I was going to make it through the night. And turns out I had a. uh had gangrene in my intestines. Oh, um, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't know what it was at the time, but it turns out I have a blood clotting disorder and my blood basically turns to glue if I'm not on, on blood thinners, you know? So that was the first episode. And then again, in 2000, I think it was 2008, we were on vacation and I was walking some, some suitcases up the stairs and it was only about maybe 10, 15 stairs. And by the time I got to the top, I mean, you thought I just ran a marathon. And my wife is a nurse, so she thought I was having a heart attack. Oh. You know, and it turns out it was another blood clot, you know. And I honestly thought at the time I had bronchitis, believe it or not. So I we came home, we flew home. And the next night I went into work and my leg was just killing me. And I did not know why. And so I made a doctor's appointment. I go into the doctor's. Banging again, I had bronchitis and he goes, no, you don't have bronchitis, but I mentioned to him about my leg and he goes, let me take a look at it. He looks at it, he goes, well, that's funny. You have a, a, a blood clot. And I go, hmm, really, that's funny because my sister had a blood clot about six months ago. And he says, you know what, just to be safe, I'm going to send you down for an ultrasound. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting down, I'm sitting there in the, in the, in the x-ray area and the technician's doing her thing. And all of a sudden she goes... Uh oh. And I'm like, uh oh, what? <laughs> she says, I'm sorry, Mr. McNeil. She goes, but have you been short of breath? I said, yeah. She goes, we got to get you to the ER right now. You have the biggest blood clots I've ever seen. Oh. And turns out I had blood clots in both legs that went from my knees up into my hips, and a five inch piece had broke off and entered my lungs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as a funny, my, my hematologist to this day, he always teased me. He goes, other than the grace of God, I can't explain why you're still here. Right. Right. You're, you're yeah, extremely lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, you must have some other things to do. Your mission's not complete here. <laughs> well, here, here's the funny part about all of that. Like I said, the last five years of my career, I had to work inside and it totally changed me as a person. I started hating people. Um, I was mean. I was just honorary. My wife calls me a crotchety old man. (laughs) But during that time, there was a a lady that came in with her 12-year-old son and her mother. And her son was kind of a big boy for 12 years old. And, you know, working the front desk, I got this a lot. You know, parents can't control their kids, so they would bring them in to scare them and all that stuff. And, you know, and this particular day, I was already having a bad day. So this lady comes in and she says, I can't control him. He hits me. He hits my mom. I'm done with him. You do whatever you need to do with him. So I pull him to the side and I looked at him and I go, go ahead, hit me. I'm going to give you one swing. I'm going to wear your ass out. And he looks at me and he starts crying and carrying on. I'm like, what are you crying about? You were a man when you was punching on your mother and your grandmother. See, right. now you have a man in your face and you want to sit and cry. Long story short, we end up talking for about 30 minutes. And it was a typical story. No, no male figure in his life. You know, that whole story. And the last thing I said to him was, look, man, I don't know you. You don't know me. But if I get an inkling that you put your hands on another human being, I will personally track you down and beat your ass. And that was about eight to nine months before I retired. And the day that I retired, he and his mom came into the to the off, into the department 
And she brought me a card and she gave me a hug. And she said, I just want to say thank you. Since that day that you talked to my son, his entire attitude has been better. He's doing better in school. And I, I just look back at it and I say, you know, everything that I went through with my health and how much I hated being in this position on this front desk, this moment made it all worth it. You know, and it's just yeah. funny that everything happens for a reason. God put me in there just to affect that that one young man, you know. So, yeah, with I had my issues, but that made it all worth it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you affected many more other people, but you know, it's, you don't, you don't, the, the interesting thing about this type of work is you really don't know who yeah. you affect. And well, I mean, you, you sometimes do know who you don't affect because yeah. you keep seeing them, but yeah. 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 I have a saying, you know, I believe that especially in law enforcement, every interaction you have leaves a impression and it could be good or bad. You know, and I always try to, especially when I worked the road, I always tried to be that officer that, you know, I, I had what I call this three strike rule. The first time I meet you, you get the absolute best me you've ever met, you will ever meet. <laughs> the second time, nah, you're not going to like me so much. And let's just say the third time. Well, there wasn't no third time because <laughs> things were a little different. <laughs> you know? I, I think I think anybody can respect that or should be able yeah. to respect that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a fun 20 years, man. The shit that I got into was just, oh, man, when I think about it, my wife at my retirement party, she's like, you never told me about that. I was yeah. like, yeah, there was a reason. honey. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want you to worry more than you're probably already worrying about me. Exactly. Every day. Exactly. So kind of paint the picture. Well, like what kind of city did you live in? What's the population and like the demographics? Um, well, I worked in the city of Southfield, which borders Detroit. We're on the north um, west border of Detroit. And when I started in 92, our department was 160 um, people. The city itself is 27 square miles. And it's kind of divided up into four sections. And like I said, we bordered Detroit. So everyone's familiar with eight mile from the movie. Right. Um, <laughs> so once you cross over eight mile from pretty much from eight mile up until about 10 mile, you kind of got that overflow from Detroit. The southwest corner of the city is what we called Indian country. And we called it that because all the streets down there were named. They had Indian tribal type names. And down there there were maybe four or five families that just ruined that area. Oh. You know, if you got to run down there, there was somebody from one of those houses involved, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then we had a, a trailer park down there. We had our two, uh, two hotels that were just the uh, slums down in that area. But once you cross over 10 mile, you know, you got a whole different demographic and it was a little bit, more, I don't want to say upscale, but more, more middle-class um, or higher middle-class, I should say. And it was just a whole different set of problems that came with, you know, once you get up in that area, but the city as a whole, it changed. When I retired, like I say, when I, when I started, we were 160 people, we were doing about 50, 60,000 calls for service per year. When I retired, we were down to, I think, 101 and we're doing about 120,000 calls wow. for service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's yeah. You hear about those stories, you know, in in the news and stuff like that, but to actually have somebody on that's actually gone through that is it's got to be yeah, it's got to be rough down kind of down well did they intentionally downsize the department or was it just nutrition and nutrition? Yeah, nutrition? we we had our department hired in big waves and when I came in, I was part of the new there was a the older guys that were hired in like the early 70s late 60s they were on their way out so my group of guys came in and all of a sudden it was a new department overnight and now the same thing has happened i think now when i go into the department there is maybe 20 people in there that i recognize you know it's and i think it's just going to continue that cycle because of the way they initially hired everybody all in this just big pool and every 20, 25 years, you're just going to have a, a big, a new influx of people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that would make sense, you know, yeah. like higher waves like that during your career and going like 
what was there some like mentally and phys- I know there's some physical challenges, but how'd that affect you like mentally? I know you're like going behind the desk is was a quite a big change for you. I mean, it seemed like you were probably a guy that got after it and got out there and did things. And then behind the desk is, whoa, that's like, you yeah. know, anybody that's gone to being out in the field and gone to a desk job for the most part is, you know, there's that transition is incredibly tough. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was hard um, mentally and, and, and it, it affected me more so when I was at work, but it started to, bleed over into home and it just changed me. I don't, I, I can't really pinpoint what it was. It was, and I don't know if it was just my, my illness that I was going through. And when you, when you work the front desk in our department, anyway, people don't see you as the police. They, I mean, it's, you, you deal with a whole different set of problems than you deal with on the street. And I would much rather deal with the, <laughs> the nonsense on the street you know, the custody exchanges and, and, you know, like I say, the, I cannot tell you how many parents would bring their kids in as young as five years old, saying that they can't control them, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just to just total, just people have no clue what we do. And I, I, I remember working the desk one day and this guy calls and he says, um, there's these two big semis over on the, on the side of the road, on the freeway. There was, we had three freeways that went through our city. And they had these um, windmill type blades or, or propellers or something on them. I don't, I don't know exactly what they were, but the guy goes, can you tell me what what's on the truck? I'm like, how the hell do I know? I'm sitting here up at the front desk. He goes, well, don't they have to call you when they enter your city? I'm like, sir, do you know how many trucks pass through this city in an hour? Not to mention a whole day. He goes, I thought you guys had to keep law. I'm like, no, that's not how it works sir." I said, I have no idea what the trucks, what's on the trucks, what they're doing there. I don't know. You would have to contact the state police. I don't know if they're broke down or what, but it was just things like that, you know, and like I say, the custody exchanges were the worst, you know, because you would have people come in and you would have, you would have the one spouse who would bring their new girlfriend or boyfriend in just to (laughs) piss the other one off and (laughs) yeah just just silly nonsense man and but you know it 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 took its toll on me mentally and I think the only thing that really helped me get through it was I never looked at police work as what as who I was I, I wasn't a police work was what I did it was not who I was and because I had my outside interests I think that helped tremendously. Um, you know, it was it was it was still hard to deal with everything I was going through with my health and everything, and being put in that position that I didn't want to be put in. But I think that balance and everything that I had going outside of police work is what kind of kept me mentally grounded. You know, for the most part. And it was funny because after I retired, my my daughter came to me about six months later, and she says. Uh, we've noticed a huge improvement in your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. you know, it, I think everyone has their moments in, when you're a first responder, whether it's fire, law enforcement, whatever it is, you know, the things that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, it just takes a toll on you. And if you don't have that other things going on, um, and that's all that you focus on. Cause I know a lot of the guys that I work with police was work was all that they did. You know, it's all they knew and they didn't have any outside interest other than maybe hunting or fishing or something like that. And you can just see what the job was doing to them, you know? And I, and I made a promise to myself when I started that I didn't want that to happen to me, you know? So I, I tried to keep, my outside interest and, and just remember that police work was what paid the bills. It was not who I was. Yeah. That's a very difficult for a lot of first responders. And I think yeah. you hit it right, you know, dead on that. That's, that's really the truth. If they don't have very many things outside of work, that work ends up defining them. And man, when that is the case, I feel like you're set down a very dark road, yeah. You know, yeah, and it sure. affects you mentally in a lot of different ways, which carries, like you said, bleeds over into your family and bleeds back into work. And, you know, it's just, a, it's a terrible cycle to, to be on. I've been there. I've done it. 
So yeah, yeah. Learn my lesson from that yeah. one. And, and sure. It's easy to get caught up in that trap too, because you feel like unless your spouse is, is in this arena, you know, it, it, you feel like there's other people don't really understand or they can't relate, yeah. you know, and it's, it's just, it's just easy to find yourself in that trap if you don't have those outside interests, you know? And I think the fact that police work, like I say, I kind of got tricked into it. And when I say that, yeah, let's hear working, that story. <laughs> <laughs> I was working as a cook. Um, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. I, I after high school, I went away and I played a year of college football. I ended up tearing my knee up. I played at a junior college. And when I, I hated school. All, all my life, all I knew, I wanted to own a business. And at the time when I, I tore my knee up. So I went back to this restaurant that I used to work at after I left school. And I was there for a few years and I was kind of in limbo. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, I knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how, know how to go about doing it. And now start a business. Cause at the time I was 25, 26, I had no credit, no money or anything. And one day we got the, the then new chief of police, police, uh, chief Thomas, he was just hired in with the city and he was making his rounds going to some of the businesses. And the day that he came into the restaurant that I worked at, I was the only one standing up front and he asked to speak to the owner. And I called back and well, the owner took a few minutes and he and I got to talk and he goes, have you ever thought about being a cop? <laughs> and when he said that, all I could think about was that's how I can get the money I need to start a business. <laughs> hey, hey, that's good. Already thinking ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he told me about the cadet program and I applied. I actually applied at my department and another department. And I ended up getting hired first by the as a police cadet at the other department. Well, a week later, Southfield called me. And right away, you know, I turned down the other job and I, and I took the cadet job in Southfield and I was a cadet for maybe six, seven months before I went to the academy. And, you know, then from there, it was just hit the ground running, you know, after the academy. But yeah, it was funny because <clears throat> when I first got hired, I got a call to come into the station because they said there was a reporter there wanted to talk to me. And they said that they were doing a a story on minority officers in the suburbs. Now, at the time, my department maybe had five or six blacks in it, and the chief was one of them. And I get to the station. There's a photographer there, but there's no reporter. So I take all of these pictures, never talked to, never spoke to anyone. And about four days later, my mom calls me and she goes, hey, did you see your picture on the front page of the newspaper? And I'm like, no. So I run, grab a copy. And the headline says minority officers in high demand in the suburbs. So I start reading this story and it says Officer McNeil was working as a cook at the Pickle Barrel Deli. And Chief Thomas came in and said, you want to be a cop? Be in my office tomorrow. Gave me a gun and a badge. And here I am. I'm like, where the hell did they get this story from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you but, don't tell the story, somebody will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it, it was funny, though. I, I, I could, I'm like, where the hell did they get the story from? Then I later found out, yeah, they talked to the chief and he had he had a way of putting his twist on everything. So that made sense. That's funny. I want to go back to something that, you know, when you're encountered at the desk, it just, I hear this a lot um, where parents call the police or, you know, or bring them into the station because they have their kids are unruly and they, they can't do anything about it. And they try to use, you know, police officers to scare them into good behavior. Mm -hmm. how, how did you feel about that? I, I had mixed feelings about it. I tried to make it, and I guess entertaining for me um, and still get my point across to the, to the kids. And it was, it was funny because depending on the, the, the kids, like I said, I had a five kids as young as five years old that would come in and, you know, kids like that, it doesn't take much to scare them, you know, so they, you, you can scare the, the crap out of them, you know, just by raising your voice at them. But there was another young man I don't know what his deal was, but he, he was just a knucklehead and, you know, his mom brought him in and 
I was I, I was kind of busy at the time, but I always tried to take time out, you know, to talk to these kids. And she says, you know, can you just do me a favor? Can you just try to scare him a little bit? So our juvenile detention was right behind the desk. So I took him back and I go, come with me. And he goes, where are we going? I go, just come with me. So I walk him back and I open the door and I go to the cell and I go, go ahead, have a seat. And he goes, uh-uh. <laughs> I was like, get your ass in there and sit down. <laughs> so he sits down and I shut the door. And you know that that sound that the, the door makes when the yeah. cell closed. Yeah. At that point, it just hit him. And he jumped up and he's pounding on the door. I have to go to school tomorrow. Please let me out. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at him. I'm like, school. You wasn't thinking about school, you know, an hour ago. You were in there acting a fool with your mom. That's why you're here. And this is where you're going to end up if you continue to act a fool. And he just started bawling and crying and everything. So I walk out. He goes, where are you going? Where are you going? He starts screaming and everything. And I go out and I talk to his mom. I go, he's back there just in tears. And she's like, good. I said, I'll give him five minutes. Then I'll go back and bring him out. <laughs> and of course, I had to have a little fun with it. So I go back and I go, I just want to let you know your mom's gone. And he looks at me. And you thought his life just ended. He's like, she's gone. I was like, oh, yeah, you're staying here. Sir, no. No, I, I, I can't stay here. I'm like, yeah, you're staying here, dude. You screwed up. You only get one shot and you blew it. And he goes, oh, no, please. And he just starts bawling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so finally I'm... gave in. I opened the door and I let him out. But he goes, sir, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. He goes out. He gives his mom a hug and everything. And, you know, I mean, there's kids like that. You know, there's, you can still save them. Yeah. You know, but then there were other kids that there was just no no saving them, you know. Do you and, think that those kids that weren't worth like saving or couldn't be saved, you know, do you think that the being down at the police department like made them more angry and just more resentful toward police officers or no, no, they didn't respect anybody. Nah. <laughs> and I'll I I I'll give you a perfect example. One night we had a run <clears throat> up to um a gas station where the attendant had called and said that three teenagers had just smashed all the windows out of his vehicle because he refused to sell them cigarettes because they were underage. Well, patrol guys end up arresting all three of them, bring them into the station. And, you know, because they're all juveniles, you know, all you can do is book them and call their parents. Well, two of the families, the one family, the mom and dad were really educated. I think the dad was a doctor and his son was just never been in trouble before just hanging around with a couple of knuckleheads and he got caught up in it. And, you know, his dad came in, he goes, look, he's going to pay for this one way or the other. You know, like he, it was a responsible response to the situation. Yeah. Another parent came in, she was a single mom and her son was a little asshole. And he comes in and, and uh, granted, I had nothing to do with, this incident. I was just working the front desk that day and her, his mom was a hospice nurse and she was actually with a patient at the time when she got the call to come in and pick him up. So she comes in and I'm sitting there minding my own business. And there was the two other officers that was dealing with this young man. He was probably, I think 14 or 15. And all I could hear is fuck the police, fuck them. I ain't got time for this shit. Let's go. And something to me just snapped. And I got up out of my seat. I ran around there and I grabbed him by his collar and put him up against the wall. And I said, are you out of your effing mind? This woman is busting her butt trying to put food on the table while you are out here acting a damn fool. And you are just totally disrespecting her right now. You know, and he's looking at me like I'm crazy. I said, she left her job and her sick patient to come bail your sorry ass out of jail. You know, and I say, how does that make you feel? You know, and you're running around here talking about F this and F that. You know, who put them shoes on your feet? Who put those clothes on your back? She did. And this is how you pay her back by disrespecting her like this. And, you know, but he didn't he didn't want to hear it, you know, and it was unfortunate. But, you know, you you had a whole gamut, you know, of kids that came in. And it was, man, I tell you, it probably three, four times a week. Parents would bring their kids in, you know, and, and I just never got it. But. You know, 
I, I, I grew up in a different time. My old man, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he raised his voice. You knew what was coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a so different, different way of learning respect. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah so um, after you retired, you can, you uh, started working your business full-time or more full-time your janitorial business. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was continuing to work it the whole time I was working as, as a cop. And, um, at, when I left the department, I, you know, I really started to grow the business and hired a bunch of employees and everything. And that was a whole nother set of headaches, you know, but, um, I have no regrets because the business has afforded us to do a lot of things that we would not have ordinarily been able to do. And it was something that I've always wanted to do was to, like I say, be an entrepreneur. And I've had the opportunity to do that, but it was, yeah, we hit the ground running, man. I mean, we picked up some other accounts and just grew the business and everything. And my wife and I ran it. And like I say, she went back to nursing school after a little while, I think after everything got gone and, um, you know, here we are in the day, you know, I helped put our kids through school and everything. So yeah, it, it was rough because I worked midnights a lot of the years that I was doing the doing the business also. So sleep was not my friend. That's for, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. That that's always affects me. The lack of sleep affects my attitude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So now you're you've gone from so been an entrepreneur with your janitorial business. You've been a police officer for 20 years and now you got something new you have got a podcast now and you have this uh first responders network so let's let's talk a little bit about your the either one the podcast network or your, your podcast yeah um they they go hand in hand the the podcast itself actually came about in 2020 um was well, actually before then because originally my plan for this was to do a Facebook show, a Facebook TV show. And that was in 2019. But it was extremely hard to get officers to go on camera to talk about themselves in their personal lives because my 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 podcast is called the Off-Duty Podcast. And it's different from a lot of other law enforcement podcasts in that you know, I don't really talk about politics and policies and tactics and things like that. It's all about the people and getting to know the, the the men and women of this profession on a personal level. So when I would approach officers about doing that on camera, it was really hard for some reason. And I don't I mean, I guess it's just, you know, guys wanted their privacy or what have you. But <clears throat> when the pandemic hit. I started getting into Instagram. And I started noticing these quote Instagram cops and, <laughs> and that's when it hit me, you know, that, man, maybe I could, you know, do this off duty thing as a podcast. And it, from there, you know, I, I, I reached out to a couple of people and um, Kenny Anderson, um, I forget what state Kenny's in, but he was one of the guys that was doing his TikTok thing. And he had a huge following on TikTok. And he had been featured on a couple of uh, news shows and all this other stuff. And he was the first guest that I had. And, you know, after that, I said, man, this is easy getting, you know, these people are already putting themselves out there. So they don't mind talking and everything, you know, and it just grew from there. I think now I'm going into episode 37 or 38, you know, but it's, 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 it's taken time. You know, I had to learn all the aspects of, podcasting and all that stuff. And I, I, I truly enjoy it. I love, you know, talking to people like yourself and just talking to the different men and women of this profession and, and hearing the stories and finding out all the different things that they're into. And from there, you know, I started really getting into, I find myself now when I'm in the car, I don't even listen to the radio anymore. I'm listening to podcasts. Yeah. So I started really getting into it and doing some research and a couple of months ago, I, one of the trends that I noticed was that podcasting is kind of like the Internet was back in 1999. We're at the start of something big, I, I believe, with this with this um, industry. And you can you're starting to see that now with all the moves that are being made within the industry with Apple and, and Facebook and, and some of the other companies. Um, but 
one of the things that I definitely noticed were was some of the big podcasts that I listened to. The, 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 the people that were the host of those shows, they were starting to form networks and bring groups of shows similar to theirs together. And I started looking around and to see if there was anything like that for first responders. And I, I only found one. One and it's, it's I don't I don't even really call it a network. Um, it was really just a, a website with a bunch of links to different podcasts on it. That was the only thing I could find. So I started doing some research and um, I, I joined this Facebook group and I, I met a guy in there that has a very huge um, podcast network in another niche and started talking to him. And he says, man, I love that idea. You know, I think you have something there. You know, if you need any help growing it, just let me know. I'll be happy to help you any way I can. And I just started reaching out to some of the shows that I listen to on a regular basis. Um, if by now you haven't heard Enduring the Badge will be and is a part, depending on yeah. when you hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Super excited about that. It's going to be awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, but I, and my whole thing with the network was, you know, individually, individually, we can all run fast, but together we can run further. And I believe that by coming together in the network, you know, I, I, my kind of my tagline for it is, the, the network for first responders and those that support them. And when I say first responders, that includes military, law enforcement, firefighters, and the medical fields, EMTs, nurses, doctors. And I think that by bringing these shows together, we can all build a nice little nucleus here for people that are in this niche can come in and, and, and get a little bit of everything. And I think right now there are seven shows, including mine in the podcast. And I think I've kind of crossed the gamut, you know, pretty good here. Um, I'm still looking for a, a pretty good military show to, to join and maybe a couple other medical shows. And I would like to bring on a few more law enforcement and fire shows also. But it's I know it's over time. I know it's going to take time to get this all going and uh, up and running and everything. But I, I, I think I'm on to something here really good. And I know it's going to take time. But I think in the end, it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely uh, an entrepreneur. Your mind's always working, looking, <laughs> looking down the road, looking for these, you know, ways to bring people together and, you know, keep moving, moving faster yeah. and, uh, you know, in this industry. And this uh, industry is, I think it looks a little easier than it is, I would say. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like anybody can be a podcaster, but man, it, it does take a, a lot of work and a lot of your free time. A lot more yeah. than just, hey, let's just jump on this, you know, <laughs> Zoom call and, you know, record a podcast. It's If it was that easy, man, I would have thousands of episodes by now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it, man. I, I When I first started, you know, that was my impression of it, that it was just, you know, talking into the microphone and put uploading your file. But yeah, there's a whole lot more that goes into it. The whole editing, just trying to get guests on the show and, and plan around all of that stuff. Um, it's a lot. And then, like I say, you throw in the, the, the network here and the things I have to do for that. And yeah, the plate's full right now, but it's all good. You know, like I told you before we started recording, you know, it's better than the alternative. So, yeah. Yeah. So I want kind of want to jump back to your podcast a little bit and you know, you're talking about getting to know the men and women behind, you know, the police work. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why is that important? I think for me, it's interesting First of all, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question here in a minute, but I think it's interesting. If, if, if you've never listened to my podcast, I always started off with the same question, and that's why law enforcement. And I ask that question because to me, it's interesting all the different paths that people take to get into this profession. My story being one of them, you know, and I've, I've talked to many people that have been on the show that, and we've all taken different paths. Yeah, we may have had family members and things like that in the profession. Um, but there was always, you know, a twist here. Like one of my, my recent guests, you know, she thought that she was supposed to be over here doing one thing, but then she realized, no, you need to come back over on this side, which was the law enforcement side, you know? And so she realized, you know, that her path was to head over in the law enforcement, but just hearing up to that point, what she went through and what the, the, the course that she thought that she should have been on, she realized 
that wasn't the course that she needed to be on. I had another young lady that was on who was actually a banker, you know, and like, wow, you go from banking to, <laughs> to being in law enforcement, you know? So I, I, I just think that that side of it is, is interesting to me just to hear all the different stories. But to answer your question, I think especially nowadays with the, the, the impressions that a lot of people have about law enforcement, I think people don't know the men and women of this profession. All they do is recognize the uniform and they associate the uniform with everything else, good or bad, in the profession. So for me to get to know those men and women as people, I think is important. And, and I wish that more departments would allow the men and women in their department to take part in social media because that's where society is at right now. And when you have as, as much shit as a lot of these quote Instagram cops get and these TikTok cops get, I give them credit because they're allowing the public to see us in a different light. You know, and I think that's really important to see that, yeah, we can have fun, we can cry, we can dance, we can do this, we can do that, instead of just always all the negativity that goes on. Because we we know in today's world, news is 24-7. So it's who can get the most attention. And the only way you can get the most attention is by coming up with the raunchiest or the scariest or the whatever story, the biggest story. Right. You know, whatever's gonna get the clicks. So that's going to be all the terrible things, all the good things you never hear about or you rarely hear about. You know, so I, I think it's important that departments nowadays allow their officers to the freedom to take part in social media and be themselves. And, and, and I've seen that change a little bit, especially in my department. When, like I say, when I recently went back, a lot of the guys there, there's a, it's a much younger department now, but guys have beards and tattoos and, and we couldn't do that. Right. You know, and, and I, and kudos to the, to the, to the chief there, because that's part of society, you know? So why not let those, those, those officers and the people that see them every day, make them feel like they're not an outsider, make them feel like they're, they're them. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why it's important to tell these stories and get to know these people. And with my podcast, it's it's funny because I have it broken down into segments. And the first segment is what I call Dig Deeper. And what that is, I go through my guest social media and I pull out posts and I cater questions around those posts to ask them. And it's interesting because a lot of people say, wow, I wasn't expecting that, you know, or something like that. But when they started thinking about it, because there's a lot of times they're off the wall questions. Yeah. But it gets you to meet. It gets you to see a different side of that person. And that's the whole point. And I just want people to see that. Yeah, we, we're people. We cry. We hurt. We put our pants on just like you. We're not Superman and super and superwoman. You know, we're human beings. We're just like your neighbor. You know, and that's what I try to get across with my podcast. Oh, I, I like that. And that's, I think it's extremely important. Um, I, to see that these men and women are, are people just like you said, just like your neighbor, just like, you know, other family members, they're just people trying to do the very best job that they can. The majority yeah. of them, right. No, no industry, no, department, you know, can be perfect. No person can be perfect day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, in the first responder world that sometimes it's like everybody expects the first responder to be absolutely perfect yeah. and all the time. You cannot do that. It cannot be done in pretty much any industry or any person in the world cannot be perfect all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because in my department, um, we used to have these citizen academies and it's where citizens could join up and they kind of go through like a, a basic training of kind of what we do. And it was interesting to hear some of their reactions after they've gone through the academy. And I remember there was one lady in particular, she hated us. She did not like the police and she would be at every city council meeting, just causing a ruckus 
because she, and, and for whatever reason, she particularly had it out for me. I don't know why. <laughs> Must have met you at the front desk. <laughs> yeah. <'cause> she, <laughs> but she, she made a comment to me one day. She came into the station and I was walking to go back into the lounge area. And I had, um, I got hit by a drunk driver when I was working and my hip and my knees and everything are all screwed up. So I walks a little funny. And she made a comment. Oh, look, he's so arrogant. He even walks arrogant. Oh, I'm like, woman, you don't know anything about me. And then one day she came in and we actually just sat down and talked. And it was a very pleasant conversation. And when I left, she was one of the biggest advocates for us. Instead of going to the city council meetings and ranting and raving about what we don't do or what we did wrong, she was there fighting for us. And, you know, it was. It was and, and, and it goes back to getting to know people as people. You know, she had this perception of me, but she had never said two words to me. You know, and then once she actually sat down and we talked, she realized that I was nothing that she had made up in her head. Yeah. You know, and and she got to see that 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 was a lot with a lot of the officers. But with the Citizen Academy that that they were doing, that was the. The outcome a lot. You know, a lot of the citizens that came into the academy with this one perception of what police work was, when they left, they realized, no, that's not what it is at all. You guys have a hell of a job to do, especially when they do like seminations training or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's always eye opening. Yeah, exactly. You know, so yeah, man, it's, it's, man, I, it, the, the one thing, and this is kind of off topic, but the one thing I kind of regret about my, career is that I didn't keep a journal. Just all the yeah. crazy nonsense that you see and do and everything. You know, that's that's the one thing I regret that I did not keep a journal of all the just crazy stuff that happened. Yeah, man. That would take an extra amount of effort that I like. <laughs> I'm I'm not a great journaler by any means. And then journaling about, you know, it would be good. I honestly think it would be it would be great and super cool to look back. Um because I, I honestly forget a, a lot of the the calls that I've I've gone on and just files right back into or bleeds back into all the other calls that I've yeah. gone on. So when people ask me about calls, it takes me a while to like recall these different things because there's been so so many of them. But yeah, in a journal would be super cool to go back and read. Yeah, that's for sure, man. I mean, geez, like I say, just some of the stories. God, man, it's I was involved in a shooting myself and. It was crazy because to this day, I still remember every single detail about it. And I remember when I had to go to court and testify, the defense attorney, he thought that, you know, he could catch me up. And, and, and the, the, the story was we had a sergeant sitting at a light on one of our main roads, Telegraph Road and 12 Mile. A car pulls up next to him it's a couple in the car and he says that hey this car behind me they just shot at us on the freeway so they end up getting into a short pursuit and i was maybe a mile and a half away when they called it out and they were going to do a felony stop and as i'm approaching i could see that the driver had his foot on the brake so i knew he was going to take off because the car wasn't in gear <laughs> and sure as shit that's what he does so i'm the main i'm the the primary car in the pursuit and it had just finished raining that night and it was probably one, two in the morning. So there wasn't a lot of traffic and we're going down Telegraph Road at about 80 miles an hour headed towards Detroit. And all you, you could, you literally could not see out the back because there was so much water just being sprayed up. And, you know, all the other cars, they had to fall back because they couldn't see. And I remember as we passed a gas station, there were three people pumping gas. I could clearly see them stopping, looking over. I remember what they were wearing and everything. <laughs> wow. And it was funny because as the car crossed over the 10 mile road area, for whatever reason, the driver slowed down about 40. And when he did that, I was able to, you know, use the pit maneuver and, and ram him. And he ended up spinning out and my, he went up into the median and my car spun and went or it didn't spun it. it I had a, one of the Chevy and the smaller Impalas at the time oh, yeah. and it veered off and hit the curb and it died out. Well, he was directly across from me and I could hear his, his tires spinning and his engine revving. 
And I knew that he was going to try to ram me. So sure as hell, here he comes off the median right at me. So I jump out and I started shooting and I end up, I think three rounds went through and hit him twice. And he ended up going northbound in the southbound lanes of telegraph right towards the officers that were had to fall back. So they end up pushing him. He ended up turning to go into a Gordon food store parking lot. And it was ping pong from there. They just ran me into whatever they could find. And they yanked him out of the car. And he's like, I've been shot. I've been shot. And they didn't believe him because they didn't know I had shot him. Right. You know? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because we got to court and his, his attorney, you know, she was like, well, did you have a clear sight behind you? I said, yeah, I can tell you the exact brick that I was that I could see as I was looking through my sights when I was firing. There was no traffic coming. You put other citizens in, in jeopardy. I said, no, there was no cars coming. And then I told her about the three people in the parking lot, and I described exactly what they had on. And she's like, oh, your memory is this. And I said, yeah, go pull the camera. Go pull the video. And sure as shit, they pulled the video, and those people were doing exactly what I described. And, and, and the point was she was trying to say that I had tunnel vision. And I was trying yeah. to, no, I did not have tunnel vision. I could, I noticed everything around me, you know, and it was just interesting, but just stories like that, man, you know, it was just this crazy stuff. You know? Trying to, trying to trip you up on, on something that was legit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a thing. I, defense attorneys hated me because I always mess with them when I was on the stand. <laughs> <laughs> I had, and I'm sorry to tell all the stories, but they all started. No, you're good. No, this me, is what's you know? about yeah, we had uh, me and my partner one night we were working and we got a call that someone had just threw a Molotov cocktail through, a, through the window at a house. So as we turned onto the street, sure as hell, there was a car sitting in the middle of the road. There's a guy standing in the driveway, has another second Molotov cocktail in his hand. He sees us. He drops it, takes off running. The car takes off northbound. I'm driving. I bail out because he was on my side and I end up getting a foot pursuit with him and chasing him. Well, the guy, there was another person in the car. That person took off. My partner, she jumped over in the driver's seat and she ended up chasing him. We ended up catching them. But when we got to court, the defense attorney says, you know, who, who was driving the car when you guys pulled on the street? I said, I was. And he goes, well, how did your partner end up getting in the driver's seat? And, you know, me being me. I said, sir, I have no idea. She could have levitated over into the seat for all <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't. <laughs> I said, I don't know. I was too busy chasing your your, your client. <laughs> you know? the, the jury got a got a, a laugh out of that. You know? <laughs> hey, you got to make them like you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, man, you had so you've been in. You've had a career that's been full of events. It sounds like, and you know, being. What about this? Uh, you've been hit by a drunk driver while you're working as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was one night, um, two of my buddies, they had just arrested a drunk driver and I got called to do the impound and the car was still sitting in the middle of the street. <clears throat> and as I, it was, again, it was a Saturday night, I believe it was, and there wasn't much traffic on the road, but I, I, get out. I do the inspection of the vehicle and I sit back down in my car to, to do the paperwork and something in my head said, look up. And just as I looked up into the rearview mirror, I could see two headlights and this car was coming about 70 miles an hour. And I threw the, I was able to get the car in gear and somehow it went into neutral. I don't know how I did it. I just jammed it into gear and it went into neutral I'm sorry, I put it in the drive and I was able to hit the gas just a little bit to kill some of the momentum or the impact, but he still hit me at 70 miles an hour and my car just went spinning. And the funny thing about it, we were right down the street from the hospital. So the fire department had just cleared a run at the hospital and they actually witnessed the accident. So they're screaming on the radio. And by the time they got to me, you know, they there with the the jaws of life because the rear of my car was basically in the front seat. Yeah, and you know my M16. I, yeah, I had my M16 in the trunk, and it was basically a pretzel, <laughs> you know. And when they got to me, it was funny because they're there with the jaws of life, and I looked up at them like, "Shit, you guys got here faster!" It's like, "You <laughs> motherfucker, we thought you were dead." <laughs> but I end up. Um, it was two two twenty one year old kids out drinking, and they were just leaving a party or whatever, and the guy never touched the brakes. You know, he just went right into me at 70 miles an hour. And I was off work for about two months. My 
hip had got rotated back. Two of my vertebrae twisted, and but I, you know, I'm I'm good now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was yeah. Two I've had quite good. quite the experience in in law enforcement, dude. Yeah, to be to recover from an incident like that in two months that's that's uh, that's that's pretty amazing. You know, yeah. an impact like that does a lot of damage. Yeah, it was it 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 really. When I look back at the the pictures of the car, and it's like, wow, I, it was just again, you know, God was on my side. You know, like I always tease my my doctor tells me, you got nine lives, man. Where yeah, <laughs> yeah, number seven or eight right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you better be a little more careful. Yeah, exactly. Anthony, how how do you like you know? I've had some challenges through your career, and you know, with your health, and you know, being um, in like the shooting and the accident and stuff like that. How do you overcome some of these these challenges, like mentally? I mean, sure, they got to be a little bit taxing. Do you, do you have like do you have like a theory, or do you have like what's your go to? I'm. How can I, how can I say this? I, things don't like, I remember the, the, the night of the shooting that morning, I was in the station doing the paperwork and another officer came up to me and asked me, was I fine? And you know, how, how I was, how I was doing, I was fine. I was, hey, you know, this shithead just tried to kill two people and tried to kill me. So I don't have a problem with shooting, right. you know? And <sighs> It's hard to answer that because I don't know if I'm good at just departmentalizing everything or I, I would have to say a large part of it is that I keep my mind busy doing other things. I try to stay busy doing other things and my my wife and my kids play a big part in that, you know, um, it's, 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 it's Jerry, it's hard for me to answer that because I, it's, 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 I'm not a very emotional person when it comes to things like that. I, I, I have, don't get me wrong. I have my, my moments, but for the most part, I'm just really good at staying cool and not allowing things to affect me no matter what it is. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's just part of me where it comes from. I don't know. I, yeah. I really don't know, but it, things just don't affect me. That things that you think should should bother you, they don't. Yeah, I think you know, it's so, that, No, go okay. ahead. I just from talking with you and stuff like, I think it's just your 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 attitude and your vision, right? I think you're a guy that looks like you're always looking forward, you know, not dwelling on what's happening or happened now, and you're just driving forward. And I think that's for me just what I know of you and you know, is, is just, I can see that in you, you know, and you got a great personality. I mean, you know, I <laughs> think, you. You, you know, you can, uh, you know, sometimes dealing with some of the stuff in, in humor and stuff like that, that, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I say, I, I've always tried, even though I was, I was, I was a, I could be an a-hole when I was a cop, don't get me wrong, but I always tried to, I was the, the if there was 10 officers standing there, I was the one that everyone walked up to to talk to, you know, and that helped me out a lot in the profession. And and I think part of my demeanor may come from the fact that I I always tried to treat people with respect and view them as people, no matter what they were doing or going through. But, yeah, I became cynical. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I became that cynical, that that cynical old man. Don't get me wrong. That did happen. Um, but you know, I remember an incident where we had a barricaded, uh, girl, she had her baby in there and she was threatening to harm the baby. And I had just dealt with her a week before and I was on another run and I hear her name come out over the radio and, you know, they were, they were going to call in this was before I was even a negotiator. They were going to call in negotiator and everything. So everyone's around, the. She lived in a in a mobile home. Everyone had the mobile homes around and all this stuff. So I just I drove down there. I get out of my car, walk up to the door. Natasha, open the door. <laughs> Officer McNeil, is that you? Yeah, open the damn door, girl. 
She opens the door and comes out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, build a rapport with people, right? And yeah. you can avoid some of these situations. Yeah. I, I, and and that's, I say that, you know, just to say, I I don't know where, where it comes from. I don't know why it, 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 it doesn't bother me some of this stuff that should. And I don't know if maybe, you know, down the road it will, but it just, it just never did. I never allowed it to. And I don't know if that was, I'm just good at shutting things off, you know? And again, I think it was because for me, police work was a job. You know, it didn't define who I was or who I am. You know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I love the job. I loved everything that the job has provided for me, everything that the job has taught me. Um, and to this day, I still feel like I can go out and kick ass on the street if I need to, <laughs> you know, but well, yeah, I, I don't think it makes you any lesser of a person or a police officer, right. To not have that job define you. Yeah. I, I think some people may, may be afraid of that, that, you know, that if someone, I don't know, like looks at, looks at me and says, you know, your job doesn't define you. You're not this, this, the typical, uh, you know, firefighter, police officer, whatever, first responder. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna bother me. Yeah. 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 And like I said earlier, I think that's important not to let the job, you know, de- define you. Cause I, I, one of the promises I always made to myself was when I was done, I did not want to do security and, you know, and, and nothing against anyone that, that does that. But when I was done with police work, I was done. You know, from from the everyday things that we dealt with, I don't want to have to deal with that anymore. You know, I still miss a lot of the guys that I work with and and sharing the stories and stuff. They're all fun to revisit and all that stuff. But honestly, you know, in today's climate, I couldn't do it because, like I say, I'm old school when it comes to 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 police work. And I just couldn't deal with a lot of the nonsense that's that's going on today. Yeah, I, I and I agree with you when one day when I'm done, I want to be done too. And I don't want to do anything, you know, like you said, security or, you know, EMS fire, any, you know, type of yeah. stuff at all. Anything why I have to help either. people with their problems. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want truly want to make an impact doing something totally different. Just yeah. Totally different. Yeah. I hear you. And this is my way, I guess the podcast and the network and everything is my way of still being involved in the profession without being involved in it. So it's a great way. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. What impact do you want to make on the world? Oh man. I just want, I don't even know if I want to leave an impact on the world. I want to leave an impact on my kids and let that, whatever I give to them, let them take that, and and grow upon that and then let them leave that same thing and more with their kids and can have it be a ripple effect because I know I can't change the world, but I know I can change my world and I can control my world. And, and I think I, my wife and I, have, we've done that with our girls, you know, our girls are now 22 and 25 or 26. And, you know, one, she just started working as an attorney and the other's you know, she just got her first real job working in D.C. for the government, you know, so we feel like we've done our part to build that foundation for them. What they build upon that foundation is up to them. But I think that's my impact. What I what we were able to give to them and let them build upon that. And then when their kids are here, let their kids build upon upon all of that, that we've instilled in them, you know, cause I, like I say, I don't think I can change the world. As a matter of fact, I know I can't. You uh, know? I would disagree with the Anthony. <laughs> I think that, I think that you are just with that statement, right? You're what you're building with your kids that, and like you said, has that ripple effect. That is, I mean, the ripple effect of goodness is unmeasurable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, but and, and maybe this is my way of doing my little part because I have some other ideas that I want to do um, as far as the profession and trying to humanize the badge more. And my head is always work, turning, you know, I, 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 
don't really sleep that good at night because I'm always thinking about things, <laughs> you know, that I can do. So I got some other ideas that I want to implement. Hopefully, once this pandemic crap is over and things get back to normal, um, I can be able to put some of these ideas into motion. Yeah, well, we'll be excited to see them and have you back on to share them. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I, I love the stories and just, you know, your your motivation to humanize the badge. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. It's a pleasure coming on, man, and, and speaking with you. Again, I've been looking forward to this. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I listen to it all the time. Um, so to be on and, and speaking with you and finally meeting you and everything, it's an honor. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund, through the Instagram handles at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our hosts and the current episode's guests. <laughs>